This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Dave Winogren, the CEO of Act IAC, and Richard Spires, the former DHS CIO and now an independent consultant. Dave, Richard, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Great to be with you. So today we're talking about a new white paper on the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act, FATARA, that Act IAC put out. Richard, you were one of the key leaders of that effort. Let me just start at the beginning. Let's talk about some highlights of that white paper. What was the goal? Give me a little bit of background. I've been a very big supporter of Atara since its inception, and of course, the scorecard as well as having driven positive developments across agencies in how they manage their IT. That being said, I I think it's uh, clear that the scorecard itself needs to evolve. Um, Myself, Dave Pounder, a number of others have testified on this over the past year. And, uh, you know, IT changes and uh, and it, it does need to evolve. And so, you know, I've individually given recommendations as gentlemen like Dave Pounder, uh, but we really thought it was time to bring together a group uh, to work this. Leaders that really have been in the trenches uh, re- regarding IT management and federal agencies. And uh, we thought that ACT-IAC was the perfect uh, venue by which to sponsor this work. So that, that was really the genesis of the, of the work. And I'm happy to go through the process we use to develop the paper, if that's something you'd like to explore. It really is important legislation, and it's made a difference. And the Fatara scorecard has made a difference because, as we all know, the things that we measure, the things that we focus our time and attention on. But having said that, the pace of change remains relentless. Technology changes so rapidly. And if there's one thing we learned from the last couple of years of dealing with a pandemic, it's that agencies that have made progress on IT modernization were more able to rapidly adopt to the world that we found ourselves in. So, you know, it seemed like the perfect time to sort of build on the success of a process that's been in place for a number of years, but to recognize that things are changing. And so some of the things that we created a priority for five years ago, not necessarily the things that will take us into the future. I definitely want to hear about the process by which the white paper came together, but let's maybe go into some of the highlights. What were some of those recommendations you came up with? Walk me through some of those and people can read the white paper and we'll link to it on federalnewsnetwork.com as well. But so maybe Richard, what are some of the things that stood out to you as some of those recommendations that folks should really you know key on? Well, what we tried to do was work off the existing scorecard and then talk about how we would evolve some of these particular uh, measures. So let me start with one that is pretty straightforward. I mean, right now, the scorecard uh, measures something called incremental development, which is that, hey, agency, how much are you uh, delivering incrementally uh, at least every six months on particular projects? We think that's a bit of a dated measure at this point, because best practice today is moving. You should be doing agile already in the way you develop systems, but you should even be way beyond that. You should be implementing a a DevSecOps pipeline for delivery of software uh, solutions today as best practice. So why don't we measure that? And and that's really what this is, the recommendation is to do. Pretty straightforward. Are you adapting Agile? Do you have a DevSecOps pipeline? And how how much are you actually using that pipeline? One of the big uh, differences or the highlights here, I should point out in many of these measures is, it's, it's one thing to do things like in a pilot, and a lot of agencies would say, hey, we piloted something like DevSecOps, but are you using it in production day in and day out for, if not all, the vast majority of the applications that you're developing 
across the agency. So we're trying to capture those measures that, that show that you're adopting this agency-wide. You're just not doing it as a, a pilot. So that's one example. Another example that I think is really important here is, are you doing the right kind of modernization planning? I use this term, you know, that's kind of like piecemeal modernization. So agencies will talk about, hey, we're modernizing certain particular application and like, that's great. And, and they should. But do you have a, a, a comprehensive enterprise plan that not only is modernizing applications, but is retiring applications, your legacy that you really need to retire? And I, I think all too often, and you can go to GAO reports, the answer is no. Most agencies are not doing that effectively. So this is really getting at, do you have a good modernization plan? Has it been properly vetted? Are your stakeholders bought into that plan? But then are you actually executing it? So in order to get a B, you got to actually have delivered a significant milestone, a significant new production system that really supports the mission or business of the agency. And to get an A, you actually have to retire a, a significant system that needs to go, that, that's legacy that needs to be retired. So again, we're trying to measure how mature you are in your uh, modernization efforts. And then let me point out uh, another one, and I'll certainly let Dave jump in too here, uh, the workforce. Right now, there is no measure in the FATAR scorecard having anything to do with the workforce. And myself and the other CIOs that were on this project all believe that's probably the most important thing to be able to measure. You know, how effective are you at recruiting uh, individuals into uh, needed positions? Are you dealing with the fact that most government agencies today, if you look at their workforce, a lot of them are retirement eligible in the IT field. So are you dealing with that effectively? Do you have a real plan, okay, that you understand where your workforce gaps are, the kinds of individuals you need to, to recruit? And are you effectively able to recruit those individuals? So those are some of the highlights that I would point out, Jason. Dave, do you want to add on to that? Building on what we said a moment ago, the world has changed a lot. And so it really is time to think differently. It's great to, for example, count data centers early on. But to Richard's point, the prize now is that moving to the cloud means so much more than just getting your old aging infrastructure taken care of. The majority of federal IT budgets are still consumed by spending money on legacy systems, thousands and thousands of legacy systems. And so what are you doing to retire, replace, refresh those systems needs to be a key priority in the plan. Likewise, the nature of cybersecurity has changed dramatically as we've moved to a be connected anywhere, anytime virtual kind of world. So priority emphasis on the new technologies that will allow us to thrive in that virtual world, like zero trust and things like that need to become a priority. Customer experience has grown as just such a big imperative over the years and more of a focus on customer experience and how the customer experience, user experience work drives the whole digital transformation work that's another priority of the federal government at the moment are areas where we've got to devote more time and attention. Couple of things I just want to maybe shift, uh, go backwards on, and, and talk about what Richard said. The agile DevSecOps discussion is, is is fascinating to me because you're right. You hear a lot of folks say, "Oh, we do agile," or "We we're piloting agile." Do you think that adding this to the scorecard will get them kind of to stop just piloting it and really move toward full implementation? Because I, I yes. Think 
Yes, yeah, go. I, 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 I'm going to jump on what Dave said. I mean, you, what do you focus on? You focus on things that, that are measured and reported on. And so absolutely, there is no reason today why a federal government agency shouldn't be not, not only delivering things agilely, but also uh, using modern uh, development techniques and testing, including DevSecOps. And it is best practice. It's clearly swept the, the private sector. And um, again, I go back to my point. Every agency will say we're doing some of that. That's fantastic that they're doing some of that. But have they really embraced it? Have they really got it into production? Are they really doing it on all the applications that they should? That's where we want to get. And that's really how you're going to get an A in this kind of measure. So if you look at the federal IT operating plan recently released by OMB, you know, the four priorities are all around technology, modernization, cybersecurity, digital CX and data. All of that is most helped by two things. One is the more rapid adoption of new technology so you don't fall behind. And the other one is this whole idea about you need to deliver capabilities in rapid chunks that engage the customer throughout the process. The longer it takes to deploy, the farther away you get from both the pace of technology change, but also the ability of the people who have to use the system to actually influence whether it does anything at all to help them get their job done. You both have been CIOs and agencies. You know how hard it is to turn this battleship. Is that why this recommendation, among the others, like Workforce is going on, is why it's important to add it to FATAR because it really just shine that light on it? Again, I'll go back to agencies have said over the last you know three, five, seven years, we, we, we you know, talk to CIOs, we're going to move to Agile. We want to be in Agile. We want, we want to get DevSecOps. And then you talk to vendors who will say, oh, that's Waterfall with, they're calling it Agile, but it's really Waterfall. And there's a lot of kind of folks who say they're not really doing it. But, but by putting it on the scorecard, that drives so much more light on that process. Is that part of the reason why you think that's important to add, again, these and some of the many other recommendations? Yeah, I mean, back to the process, you know, we have this working group that pulled together these recommendations and uh, quite a few CIOs or former uh, CIOs on the on the list. And we, we had these kinds of discussions, Jason. It was like, so what's the best way um, that we can re- make these recommendations to revise the scorecard that will drive the most positive change on how an agency will manage its IT? And, and that was really the guiding light uh, or principle that we used for all of these recommendations. So, you know, another one um, is around the costing. Right now it's measured, uh, you know, as to whether or not you're using, okay, the MGT Act and, and this idea of the WCF, uh, working capital funds, right? But it really shouldn't go way beyond that. So activity-based costing, you know, we talk a lot about TBM. But this idea that we really understand our cost structure better and and how we're doing as an agency so that we can then benchmark ourselves. You know, understanding cost is great. It's an important step. But then you really want to use that data to benchmark yourselves. How well are you delivering these services vis-a-vis other agencies, vis-a-vis the best private sector corporations? All of these recommendations are about trying to move an agency to best practice in IT management. You know, we've talked a lot about the things that you measure, the things that you focus your time and attention on. And, and I think the scorecard kind of bears that out. If you look at the things the scorecard has been measuring, you can see trend lines that have actually improved, right? You can see that the data center focus 
created improvement in data center optimization. The emphasis on things like enterprise licensing, software purchasing agreements has created improvement there as you watch the grades of agencies have improved over the time. So, so I think there's a proven track record that good performance management does help prioritize and focus people's efforts. Dave Richard, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guests today are Dave Winogren, the CEO of ActIAC, and Richard Spires, the former DHS and IRS CIO, and now an independent consultant. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Dave Winogren, the CEO of ActIAC, and Richard Spires, the former IRS and DHS CIO, and now an independent consultant. We're talking about a new white paper that ACT IAC put out around FATARA and the recommendations to change the FATARA scorecard. Richard, you mentioned the process by which you all developed these recommendations. Imagine you started with a thousand of them and had to whittle them down to a handful, maybe not a thousand, but but walk me through it. It was, as you said, a lot of former CIOs, a lot of former Dave Pounder, who was at GAO, had helped develop the scorecard, some OMB folks like Dan Chenuck. How did you guys go through this and how did you all decide which ones really were most important versus the ones, okay, this is good, but something's got to get cut because you can't give Congress 40 yeah. recommendations. And you're right. It was, certainly was not even 40. We did do brainstorming sessions to begin the process. Kind of like, okay, let's go back to first principles. We clearly wanted to make sure that we understood the existing scorecard, but but that really wasn't limiting us. We did brainstorming around, okay, if, if you were going to invent a new scorecard, what would it look like? And then we came up with those recommendations. And then we went through a process of saying, all right, we, we want to be practical here. Another thing was we, we can't come back and say, oh, now you should have 20 different elements to your scorecard. We needed to keep it in that range of you can show it on one piece of paper, color code it, um, make it easy for people to understand. And I think that simplicity was also really important to this, Jason. All of the measures we use, I mean, as a layperson, you should be able to read this and, and understand how we went about the scoring. And of course, we kept in mind the idea that you got to collect the data. Now, I will admit, I think we went beyond, definitely went beyond what's collected today. A number of these would require new data calls, but we also tried to keep that simple. We, we didn't try to get into, even in the cybersecurity arena, if you look at the, at the metrics we're proposing for cybersecurity, they're all relatively simple to gather and report on. So those were the, if you will, the, the guiding constraints we used as we were trying to create these recommendations. Something that you could, you could collect the data on, could be understood by all, uh, and that could be relatively simply implemented uh, with a number of new data calls. And the idea is that if we were to move to the number of these recommendations, we would want OMB to take over the process and actually put it up on the IT dashboard. All of these things could be reported, maybe in the cybersecurity realm, there may be some sensitivities about some of the data, but for the most part, this data could be reported on the dashboard and that would make very, very easy to score uh, without having to do additional data calls. I'd like to pile on for a minute about all the folks that helped make this happen. You know, we're really grateful to the House Subcommittee on Government Operations staff. The, the staff members of that subcommittee have been really good about talking with us. 
as they created their new IT modernization caucus, which I think is a great advent of a dialogue on IT modernization for the Hill. You know, it seemed like a natural extension from there to talk about how to improve Patara. And so they've been great in having that conversation with us. Of course, I'll say as the CEO of ActDiac, ActDiac was perfectly positioned to take on that task with our thousands of government and industry leaders. One of the things that I think, Richard, I found it interesting was, uh, and I guess kudos to you all for not stepping into the cybersecurity debate between OMB and the subcommittee. So so smart to say we're going to find some data that is already acceptable or already readily available, not adding more data calls. How much of this was based on the hearing that you and some others testified at, I think, I guess about a year ago? And how much of it is you took what you testified and then started to evolve it even more because it's been roughly a year since that testimony? Guys like Dave Pounder and myself have a tremendous passion for wanting to get federal IT right. And the use of, we believe the use of the scorecard is a, is a very good mechanism to help in that regard. So we're very supportive of it. And, and we, but we're constantly evolving. And, and look, we don't, not that like the two of us have all the answers. So again, the reason why we thought, okay, it's time to get together an August group that that really can bring different perspectives. And, um, you know, I'll give Renee Wynn real credit in the cybersecurity realm. She was the one that kind of took that. And um, because we're like, how do we make this simpler? And, and, you know, and not get involved in, I mean, it's, you know, FISMA is so complex and, and dated. And is it really giving us what we want on the FISMA reports? We don't believe so. So I, I think she really was the one that drove how do we simplify this? So coming up with these categories and, and measuring, you know, take zero trust. I mean, we're not looking for a complex answer right now about zero trust. We're looking, do you have a plan around how your agency is going to move to a zero trust architecture? Are you executing that plan? Show us real demonstrable deliverables, uh, how you're executing that plan. And if you do that, you're going to get an A on that element right now. Now there's others, uh, you know, that we would want more. Multi-factor authentication, for instance, you know, it's so foundational to good cyber security. What percentage of your systems are using multi-factor authentication for access? If it's a high percentage, you're going to get an A. These are relatively straightforward measures that uh, I, I think are very impactful. And, and again, people can understand. And, and so that was really the mechanism we used of getting these experts together, having that dialogue. And then starting to dig, it's almost like we had to dig deep to then simplify, right? We had to really understand what were the, all the boundaries conditions on these various uh, recommendations. And then how do we make them simpler? How do we make them so that you could report on them easier? And that way we could move forward with a real set of recommendations. And GAO has these recommendations, has this report. Uh, we are certainly reached out uh, to the Federal CL Council, to OMB, uh, obviously, as Dave was alluding to, we're working with others on the Hill to really try to push uh, you know, on these recommendations. And and look, we recognize that they're not going to say, oh, these are perfect. Let's just move forward with all of these. But we're hoping to really change the dialogue and to start to see a faster pace of how we evolve the scorecard, uh, because we believe that that's key to keeping the scorecard relevant in driving real change in federal IT. I appreciate the, you explaining kind of how you're starting to socialize it, because that was one of my next questions is try to understand, because you can put out a report, and, and again, to use the old EA expression, you don't want to make it shelfware, you want to make sure people understand it. Dave, from your perspective, 
uh, from an ACT-IAC perspective, why was this doing this report and why was this report important for you all? Because beyond the fact this is part of your role as being a part of the member of the federal community, as, as part of bringing industry and government together, was there any discussion, and, and again, maybe this is a Richard question, of bringing on some federal current federal CIOs? Did they have any input? Did you socialize this with them first and draft a report? Give me any kind of the, how to how act IAC kind of played the role. You know, it's clearly in our sweet spot about accelerating government mission outcomes. This is sort of the heart of all the work that act IAC does. We thought after talking with some of the staffers in the House uh, subcommittee that, you know, the best thing to do first was to say, take some people who, you know, were a step removed from the process rather than asking current federal employees to stake a position on what should change, that it would be good to have a bunch of people who had had to live it but now are not no longer having to do the scorecard themselves, sort of be independent arbiters of what the art of the possible might look like. And so I think where it builds from here is where Richard says, you know, so we've been sharing it broadly, doing interviews with folks like you, talking about as much as we can to sort of get it out in the public commons so that the next steps can include more conversations with different members of the House and Senate, conversations with GAO, conversations with the federal CIOs, so we can make sure all those equities are represented. But it seemed unfair to try to make fed, current federal employees try to stake a claim on, I want the scorecard to change. It seemed easier for us to do that. I will say, as a next step, one of the things that our ACT-IAC Institute for Innovation is doing is having dialogues with a couple of federal agencies to see if they could pilot the collection of some of the new data that we're asking for to see the, what the art of the possible is, to see if it would be you know, feasible to do some of the recommendations that we have in the report. So more to follow on that as that project gets started up. And generally, Dave, have you gotten, I know it's still early, decent reception from folks who said, oh, we'd take a look at this or let's have a conversation. I mean, folks are at least open to the conversation to see if a pilot's possible. Yes, we've got a couple of agencies that seem very eager to go ahead and help. All right. Obviously, good news, because as you said, they may not want to get in front of Congress. They may not want to look like they're getting in front of OMB as well. So I think I think that's a a positive sign. Dave Richard, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guests today are Dave Winogren, the CEO of ACT-IAC, and Richard Spires, the former DHS and IRS CIO and now an independent consultant. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Dave Winogren, the CEO of ACT-IAC, and Richard Spires, the former IRS and DHS CIO, and now an independent consultant. We're talking about a new white paper that ACT-IAC put out around FATARA and the recommendations to change the FATARA scorecard. Richard, were there some recommendations that maybe were really good but fell onto the cutting room floor? Is there anything that you'd point out, even from broadly speaking, because as I said, I'm sure you got you all, the group came up with 40 or 100 of them, and, and you can only really get those five or six or <laughs> yeah. seven. But what were some that's maybe uh, that would be really good if we only had the room or, or the ability? Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I should point out at the at the uh, near the end of the report, we actually have a little section about uh, potential new recommendations. And so let me point to those out first. Dave mentioned earlier customer experience, which is incredibly important topic and evolving quickly uh, within, uh, you know, again, IT management. And there's a lot of good practices and certainly federal agencies, a number of them are, are embarking on using those practices. We held off going specifically to a, a customer experience type of metric 
mainly because we felt like it would be very hard for us to measure that right now. We, we think it's important, but again, back to that practicality aspect, what we said was that we think in the next few years, it's something that should be explored and how would you measure it? And then we should add that in uh, down the road a little bit. The other one, which is more, even more difficult, I think, to measure, but so important is many agencies don't operate in a vacuum. I mean, many agencies need to collaborate uh, with other federal government agencies, with state or local governments, even with uh, private sector organizations in order to carry out their missions. And, and that IT uh, has a role to play. And so the interactions between agencies and their IT systems sometimes is, uh, is really, really imperative to delivering good outcomes for citizens or, or, or for others, whatever their customers are. And yet, so we think it's important, but again, we were like, wow, that seems like a bridge too far right now to try to measure. So if we were to mature these other measures and we feel like we've made a lot of progress, then we may turn to particularly those two. Let me point out one other thing about the report, uh, Jason, I think is imperative. In every single one of these where we've made recommendations, we've made concrete recommendations about what we think should be done right now the kinds of uh, measures that should be, how you get an A, how you get a B, so forth, and the data that's needed to do that, uh, to measure it. But we also have a section for each one of these uh, recommendations and measures about how that may evolve over time. So as an example, on the modernization one, I mentioned earlier that to get an A, you actually have to show that you've retired uh, you know, some type of major legacy system, one in a year. Well, I mean, you could evolve that over time as to raise that bar over time. As agencies are doing better and better in modernization, we would probably want to raise that bar to get an A. Those are the kinds of things we also discuss in the report. Dave, was there anything from your perspective that you thought you would have liked to have seen? Anything that you said, maybe you were surprised that that didn't quite make the cut? I think the report does a great job of helping to do things that could be done immediately. Part of your challenge is if you can't collect meaningful data, then it doesn't really do any good to set up, right, a bar. I mean, you can create a vision, but you can't really measure on a scorecard unless it's something you can actually measure. So I think to Richard's point, the team did a great job of picking measures that will matter. And I think you see two kinds of shifts going on. The one is, I'll say some of the current measures are, are a little outdated, like data center optimization. It, it's, it's fine, but it doesn't necessarily measure whether you're doing IT modernization. It's more about reducing footprints. And so working on IT modernization plans helps give you something that then you could track progress against. In my head, it's a big shift from just doing oversight to doing outcome-based reviews. And if you tell an agency they have to give you a plan, and then you can track the progress of the plan, then congressional hearings are much more powerful because while it may feel good to do the gotcha moment for a minute, it doesn't really do anything to change the behavior. But tracking the progress of a plan really does too. The other thing that I think the team did a great job on in the new measures is there were some measures that sort of did a bell curve distribution, like somebody already always had to be at that tail that was going to get a D or an F. And so it wasn't really about like if the whole world shifted, it still shifted so that I might be an F even though I had made progress. So moving to things where, you know, the bar changes as our expectations change, but also your progress is actually could demonstrably make a difference, even if the rest of the or organizations moved in a similar path with you. Let me pile on to that. I think, Dave, you make a great point. I, I, I never like the measures where it's a bell curve and you have to have an agency that's, quote, failing. If everybody's doing well, then everybody should be getting good grades. And 
So all of our recommendations move away from that kind of bell curve model to more objective measures. So that if you know, if, if everybody is doing great on, on implementing Agile and they're using DevSecOps as their pipeline in production for all their apps, they would all get A's. And, and that to me is great. Now, then you might look and say, okay, that measure, we probably should move on from that measure then because everybody's already met that bar. So I think that's a big shift, and at least in the recommendations we're making, to move away from this kind of, as Dave was saying, a bell curve kind of model. It's almost like FISMA, while not in a bell curve model, had that issue as, as agencies improved their cybersecurity. It's, it was very black and white. Did you do it or didn't you do it? And if you didn't do it, then it was a minus one or minus five or whatever the score was. And I think what you all are saying is you want to kind of continue to see progress, and progress can be measured in different ways. And again, you could say, well, we're doing Agile for 50% of our projects or DevSecOps pipeline is, is impacting 50%. Okay, well, that's this much progress. And then you kind of continue to build the 75% to 100%. What do you hope happens next? Well, well I'll go first and say I'd love to see the scorecard actually adopt a few of our recommendations. I mean, you know, we, we appreciate that there are a lot of equities, a lot of people you know, piling on with ideas, and that's great. Yeah, and on a process point, I, I would really hope that we are able to engage to it. I mean, we're already engaged on the Hill and to some degree with GAO. Uh, we'd like to engage more with the administration as well, certainly with OMB, but also hopefully with the federal CIO council. I mean, as I said, we, we tried to put together our best ideas with a, a, a very diverse group um, of individuals. We think we've done a, a good job, but we also recognize that, Hey, there are other good ideas out there. We wanted to continue to improve. But it's, I think it's important that we pilot, start piloting some of these, as David mentioned, and uh, hopefully within the next six months, uh, certainly within the next year, as Dave said, that at least some of the measures have evolved, whether it's exactly on, on our metrics. I don't think it's as critical. It's a lot of these themes, you know, improving on, on the incremental one to, to add in Agile and DevSecOps, improving on cybersecurity. Um, improving on a modernization measure, having a workforce measure. These are critical elements that, that should be part of the scorecard. I'm going to shift some gears here. We've talked a lot about the FATAR, the white paper that you all put together to improve the scorecard. Let me maybe take a half a step back. And how has the FATAR scorecard generally over the last you know, five, seven years really impacted the federal community? Richard, from your perspective, uh, I know there was some hesitation not from you, but from others in the CIO community when it first was, was put out there. I know a lot of the CFO community was not happy about it, especially the mm -hmm. law itself, not necessarily the scorecard. But talk about the law and how that has impacted the federal community. And do you feel like it's time to relook at not necessarily for Tara, but, but the, the role of the CIO and the impact of the CIO? Give me some initial thoughts around those things. Yeah, I'm overall very positive on the impact of Fatara in general and the scorecard in particular. I, I, I do think it has moved the ball forward. Uh, clearly, I mean, an area we didn't really even talk about yet is this this area of the CIO authorities. And we're we're, we're recommending some changes to the to the authorities to really measure more uh, whether the CIO actually has uh, oversight of of IT or what percentage of the IT in an agency do they have real oversight over uh, and the procurements that are reflected in that. But, it, but there's no doubt from a reporting perspective, a lot of the CIOs now report to either the director of an agency, the leader of the agency or the deputy, not all, but, but a lot more do than before. 
and I, I think it is recognized that the CIO in almost all agencies is now very integral to the budget process around IT. I think that's improved uh, demonstrably and is shown to be. And I think to, and I think Dave mentioned this, things like uh, data center consolidation, it, it has made a difference. Uh, you know, that's a measure out there that's been tracked publicly. And, and I think it has forced agencies to, to really look at that. It is a meaningful thing. As far as going forward, I'm not convinced that we need a lot more legislation. Uh, I'm not sure writing new laws to try to reflect this is, is necessary where we need to go. I think you know, using Fatara and continuing to evolve things like the scorecard is where the action should be. Congressional oversight has made a real difference. You know, I, I've reflected in the past, both in testimony and some of the writing I've done, about Klinger-Cohen and the fact that there was no real, con- you know, Klinger-Cohen was passed and then there was not really the follow-up congressionally on the oversight side. Where I think if you look at the Fatara history now, you saw tremendous amount of focus, you know, Jerry Conley and Daryl Issa to begin with, right, really had a tremendous amount of focus on we're going to oversight this. We're going to make sure that Fatara is actually meaningfully implemented. And, I, I, and that probably has had more to do with the success than perhaps any other uh, factor. Dave, jump in as well, because uh, you take the longer view than maybe Richard does, though. Richard, I know you were in government 57 years, I think it was, if I, if I calculated it correctly. But you, you, you've been out, you've been in industry, you've seen kind of maybe both sides of it a little bit. Can you give me a sense of how the Fatara law itself, not beyond the scorecard, has, has driven changes that, that are positive, but also where do we need to go next? So, you know, I had the luxury of having retired from government just before Fatara passed. So I didn't have to live through the scorecards on the inside like Richard did. But I was grateful for him taking over the federal CIO council after I had departed. Um, I do think the Fatara is important legislation. And as Richard said, you know, it reemphasized the importance of CIO authorities. And, and that's a topic that stays evergreen. There's still a disparity in the roles that different federal agency CIOs have and what they're able to work on. And if there's a recurring theme, it's that technology is embedded in every mission area of the government. Therefore, the CIO has to be a business change champion for the organization. And if they're not positioned to do that, if they are not considered a peer with the chief financial officer and the chief acquisition officer and work really closely with them, then they're not able to work the levers of power that actually allow technology to be delivered more effectively. As we've talked about before, there's a big difference between, as I'll say, having a seat at the table and having a voice at the table. And so we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that there's still progress that could be made in making sure that agency CIOs are able to have a strong enough say about how the technology budget will be spent and how programs will be delivered. Now, having said all that, you know, it gets back to the beginning of the conversation where we talked about Fatara is great and Fatara scorecards are good. If Fatara scorecards should adapt and evolve as time goes on because the world is changing. We've already talked about the imperative for customer experience and how important that has been, the imperative around development in incremental pieces. But I'll also say like sort of the world changing in terms of what are the right contracting approaches, the power of performance-based contracts and managed services from shared services to buying capabilities as a service. These are all areas where, where we could still make some improvement about how we engage industry. The vast majority of the 90 plus billion dollar federal IT budget ends up in the hands of the private sector. 
And the way that we go about doing those acquisitions can either improve the way things are delivered or narrow our focus on what we allow companies to bring to the table in terms of industry best practices and lessons learned. So, you know, new approaches to cybersecurity, you've seen it in as like tick move to tick 3.0, that what was a great solution eight, 10 years ago could actually end up hampering the ability to deliver capabilities in the way we find the world now. I think your point is something that I think why we're talking about Fatara today and looking at the scorecard, because things are so much different than they were, you know, eight, eight or so years ago. Dave Richard, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guests today are Dave Winogren, the CEO of ActIAC, and Richard Spires, the former DHS and IRS CIO, and now an independent consultant. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Dave Winogren, the CEO of ActIAC, and Richard Spires, the former IRS and DHS CIO, and now an independent consultant. We're talking about a new white paper that ActIAC put out around FATARA and the recommendations to change the FATARA scorecard. Dave, you all at ActIAC have been talking about the 20-year anniversary of the E-Government Act. It's been, I think we're pushing 26, 27, 28 years for Klinger-Cohen. Just from a CIO-only position, where does it need to go next? How's The position has definitely evolved. It's much different today than it was ever before. Beyond FATARA, beyond laws and policy and regulations, what needs to happen to the CIO role over the next, if you will, year, 18 months, two years? Where would you like to see the folks who come in take that position next, no matter what agency? Yeah, well, I've sort of staked my claim, so I'll just reiterate it that technology is everywhere, right? And when Claire Konak passed, technology was still the province of race floor computer rooms. And, and technology is the way we live in our personal lives on a smartphone, all the way to every missionary of government only gets done because of the use of technology. So likewise, the nature of the role of the CIO needs to continue to shift with the sort of, you know, ubiquity of technology everywhere. And so is your CIO part of the management group for the agency? Is the CIO helping to set the vision for the organization? Is the CIO intimately involved in the financial processes of the organization? Is the CIO intimately involved in the acquisition processes of the organization? If we don't keep technology in the way it can make a difference, firmly focused in the sort of top-level management discussions of the organization, then we will always sub-optimize. And so the more we make the CIO be like the network administrator, the more we make the CIO be the deliverer of smartphones, the more we fail to take advantage of the power the technology can bring to government mission outcomes. So I'll just put stop that again and then let Richard pile on from there. Dave, I think that was just spot on. I mean, I'm not sure I could add very much to that. I, I might just say that when I was a CIO, whether it was at the IRS or, or DHS, when I was, I, I spent a lot of my time trying to understand, quote, the business or the mission of the agency and how it is that my organization, I guess I personalized that, but the, that how is it that the IT organization could best support that? And to me, that's the essence of what a CIO really should be. You know, we're there to really support our customers, the agencies, and those that are driving the mission of the agency. And, but to, to Dave's point, I mean, it permeates, technology is permeating everything that a government agency does these days. And I've always said, and I still believe it more now than ever, that 
the biggest change you can make in how efficient or effective any government agency operates is to start to get the technology management right. And I say it that way on purpose. It's, it's not just to get the technology right. It's to get the technology management or the management of that technology right. Because that's really where agencies fall down. They can have the greatest new technology, but if you don't implement it effectively and if you don't go through the processes you need to to bring along your customers to effectively use it, there's a lot of waste there. So that that is, to me, the essence of, of what a good CIO should do. And, and, and Jason, we're moving along the spectrum. There's no doubt we've made real improvements. Uh, if I go back over the last decade, let's say, we've definitely made real improvements on moving that spectrum. Are we where we should be? Absolutely not. I mean, it's it's everything from having that seat at the table and being that trusted advisor, okay, to the the head of the agency, to the key business or, or mission uh, executives of that agency. Many agencies do not have that structure yet. And uh, we should urge them to get there and we should do everything we can to try to help them get there. Richard, you mentioned that there is no need for potentially new legislation We've seen executive orders around CIO authorities, at least two or three of them over the last decade plus. Do you get the sense that we're past all that, the policy, the writing, the, the regulation writing, the law writing? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, maybe I'm being a, I'm even a little uh, jaundiced by the whole thing a bit, right? I mean, policy after policy, it's about leadership, right? It's about recognizing the importance of technology and that, You've got this individual, a CIO. Now that CIO has to step up, right? If that CIO, to Dave's point, is more like the network administrator, well, that's not going to help the situation. So it is, it is a both-way street here. But you need to have, at the very top levels of government, coming out of the White House, coming out of OMB, valuing the technology, valuing the CIOs. And hopefully, you, as you get more new leaders come in, like agency heads and the like, they recognize the value of leveraging technology. And if they do, then they should be leading heavily on the CIO and, and the, that organization to help drive those changes. I, I can, and I won't get into too much of a personal story here, but I've worked for two agencies and one, I, I had a, a leader that tremendously valued uh, technology in the agency and it made a world of difference about how much change we could drive. I mean, I like to think I was part of that, but I have to give that agency head a lot of credit because when that agency head you know, really values technology and what it can do, it changes the whole dynamic. It really changes the whole dynamic for an agency. And uh, so it, it's not just only about the CIO, it's really about the leadership team starting with the head of agency to help really drive that change. All right, gentlemen, I very much appreciated this conversation, but uh, we are out of time. So let me first thank my guest. Dave Wintergreen is the CEO of ACT-IAC. Dave, always a pleasure to catch up. Great to be with you. And Richard Spires is the former DHS and IRS Chief Information Officer and now an independent consultant. Richard, thank you so much as well. It was great to catch up with you. Jason, always enjoy uh, these kinds of conversations with you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.
With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.